Welcome to the Connected Community Podcast from Bolden Networks. Bolden Networks is unlocking the power of an interconnected future by bringing you insights from leaders in transport from around the globe. I'm Ian Montgomery of Label Sessions, and today myself and Chris Pachette from Bolden Networks are talking to Mark Moby. Mark is the head of digital delivery at the London Northeastern Railway, better known as LNER, and he's driving innovation in rail by improving the digital experience and capability for one of Britain's largest and most storied railway operators. Hi, everyone. Uh, today, we've got Mark Moby with us, the head of digital delivery at LNER. Uh, Mark, welcome. It's it's so glad. I'm so glad to have uh, somebody with digital in their title speaking with <laughs> us today. We've got lots of digital things to talk about. Um, welcome to our uh, podcast. And uh, how are you doing today? Yes, hi there, Chris, uh, and hi everybody. Yes, I'm doing well, thank you. It's, uh, it's a busy time for rail and certainly for for digital as well, which is really good in terms of trying to push the boundaries of where we want to be and where we're heading. So, yeah, looking forward to this conversation. Absolutely, uh, uh, there is a resurgence in rail happening these days. We've we've talked about quite a bit, but um, so so maybe just give us a little background on LNER. LNER is the London London Northeastern Railway. Uh, yeah. Give us a little background on LNER and a little background on yourself. Yes, certainly. So um, LNER, uh, we are a long-distance train operating com- uh, company uh, within the UK, publicly owned but subsidised by the Department of Transport, and we operate across the entire East Coast Main Line within the UK, where we serve customers and locations including London, Leeds, York, Newcastle, Edinburgh, and beyond. And it's actually over a route which covers well over 900 miles. So within the UK, that's a big stretch in terms of where we are and what we're, what we're trying to do. As a business, um, our business has changed quite a, quite a lot since COVID. So changing very much from a, a business-orientated or business-traveler-orientated uh, organization to one which is very much more focused on leisure uh, and driving up our leisure numbers uh, moving forward. So it's really exciting times for us as we start to pivot and look at some of the innovations, some of the the things that that build that that customer experience and that user experience for everything that we do, and I think I think it's core cool to say that it's more than just the the journey. It's actually everything. So it, it starts from the very point that somebody wants to uh, purchase a ticket uh, to to arriving to the station, their experience of the station, the journey itself, and then obviously onward and beyond all the way until they reach their end destination, which is usually quite a lot further than the actual station itself. So what we do is really far reaching uh, and wide and varied, uh, but it's really exciting and challenging to be able to do that. Um, Certainly myself, I've worked in in industry for well over uh, 20 years, uh, mainly in major uh, business and transformational change. Uh, recently, well, only about three years ago, moved into the rail sector, uh, and I'm really passionate about bringing change to rail because I think it's 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 got such opportunity uh, to really drive forward. Hey, I'm glad you mentioned that the journey it typically extends well beyond what LNER operates because more and more with behavioral studies, people are taking this whole journey into account as opposed to just what what you do on our on our equipment. So that's an important distinction that I'm glad you're looking at. Um, so, so you have the word digital in your title. Yes. Uh, LNER has obviously uh, deemed it uh, important to have somebody focused on the digital aspects. Before we get into what that, what that means, uh, how does that line you up with your, with your cohorts? What other, what other 
what other groups of individuals do you work with that you were split out of to focus on digital? Uh, well, yeah, the digital uh, and innovation department was actually only created about four years ago. Um, so obviously LNER was looking at digital solutions, but it got to the point where to really look into that customer journey, really understand that customer experience, we needed to separate out and actually build a capability all of its own that could actually start to drive that forward. So um, if I remember correctly, it was about four years ago it, it, it started and it was a small group of about 15 to 20 people. Uh, now we're up to just below 70 uh, in terms of what we do. And we cover all all aspects of digital. So we've got the digital delivery, we've got digital experience, uh, looking at strategy, we've got digital products, uh, transformation activities, including machine learning and automation, and also an innovation capability where we're looking at future uh, horizons and, and especially our future labs accelerator program, which is uh, a real jewel in our crown in, so in driving innovation within rail. So it sounds like a lot of progress in a short period of time. That sounds fantastic. Um, so, so in the digital aspect of that, what, what, uh, what floats your boat? What's, what's the <laughs> projects that you're working on in digital that, that you think is the way forward? What's, what's you know, driving this? It, it's, driven, it's, like, it's, it's driven from our overall purpose. So as LNER, we have the purpose to put the heart in everyone's journey. But when we go into digital innovation, we've taken it from the lens of empowering everybody uh, through technology and then continually improving the user's digital experience. But by digital, I'm not just meaning the customer. I'm also meaning the employee as well. So that could be all the way back from to HQ staff and the back office systems that we use to people on the trains uh, and the systems which they need to use to do their job as well. So as I said at the start, it's all about being uh, experience-led uh, understanding what is it that people do, what are their pain points, can technology help them? And it's purely there to help. It's not there to replace. It's there to help and, in essence, like enable people to, to provide further uh, or added value to, to, to their roles. So it's really important that we do it from an experienced position so we can make sure we're putting the right things in at the right time, as I said, because it's all about being effective but also creating efficiency uh, as we go through time. So in these last four years, what's the, you know, what, what are the one or two things that have jumped out the most has been most effective for you? And, and I, and I say that realizing full well that some of these things may seem trivial, but have a huge impact. Yeah. Well, e even just something as basic as our mobile app that we created, um, which has been, uh, it first came into uh, fruition about three years ago, and it's gradually we've been building more and more functionality into it as as we go along. It is an industry award-winning um, uh, app in the UK. It's scoring really high on uh, Google and Apple Pay Store, uh, Apple Play stores in terms of the reviews that it gets. Because what we focused on is trying to provide an area where the customer can do as much self-service as possible. So they're able to do more and more through the app. So we, we're bringing in more things all the time to, to actually boost that capability, even to the extent of doing things like geolocation. So that based on where they are uh, in a station, if we know that they've got a, a train booked for a certain time, we can say that they've arrived early or we could give them the option to jump on a train, which, which is earlier, or even conversely later if they get there. So it's just being able to provide things in a way that the user can really interact with and get all the information that they need at their fingertips at any one time. Uh, so we're really, really proud of our app. 
Um, it's it's we've still got a long way to go with it. Um, we've got a lot more functionality which we planned. We've got a, a roadmap for at least another uh, eighteen to twenty four months, which is packed with the new functionality which we want to bring in. So that is a great example of some of the stuff which uh, which we really want to do. But then on the flip side, you look at some of the stuff we're doing at our stations. So in terms of our, um, we've got a project called um, the Dynamic um, Stagecoach Signposting, uh, which is basically dynamic uh, digital signage, which is on station platforms to indicate where people need to stand when a uh, train comes in. So depending on which coach they're in, which services they're after, and, and even just something like that, which may seem trivial, reduces dwell time at stations, really gets gives customers the knowledge of where they need to stand so they can get onto their train as quickly and easily as possible. So again, really, really good from that perspective. And another one which we're just about to bring in is working with the British Sign Language Association to actually have BSL signage coming through on our customer information screens so that working with obviously the deaf community to... Um, to understand where their issues are and and be able to make sure that they have full communication to them. So again, just pushing that accessibility angle on our stations uh, to to really make sure that our customers get the best experience for them. Well, uh, a lot of that just sounds like common sense. And and <laughs> and when I say that, when I say that, I am paying you the highest compliment I can, <laughs> because behavioral scientists say. Behavioral science is critical, but a lot of it just is common sense, and and it's amazing how much that gets overlooked. You mentioned the the walk into the station, and you know I'm early, so you offer me a seat on an earlier train. I just tried to do that in Canada last week, and uh, they wanted one hundred and sixty four dollars from me to move my ticket up one hour. Well, doesn't that give you? another hour to sell a ticket that would otherwise go empty. And and that to me did not make common sense. So all of these innovations that, that sound like common sense, it sounds like a, a belittling compliment, but it's the highest form of compliment I can offer you really. No, so, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think it all comes down to the fact that as I, as I keep saying, it's all about the user experience. And if we can identify the journey uh, that the people need to go through, identify where their pain points are, then we can really use technology to help. And I think that's the point, that rather than just throwing solutions in, thinking, oh, yeah, this is what it is, it's look at it properly, go into the detail, make sure you're understanding what is it that, that the users want. And I, and I keep saying users specifically because we do a lot of this for our employees as well, um, because they're just as important as our customers because they are the front of our, of our organization. We are a people... <laughs> people business um so we need to make sure that they are feeling exactly the same that they're getting the best experience which they can as well and that's a fantastic attitude can i can i ask a can I, ju I jump in and just ask something here mark because like the way when chris talks about it being common sense um you're actually sitting in front of a thing that i think has your personas on it Yes, and some some people when they design, there'll be certain designers to be like that. That is obvious. That is the way that we do things. But there are still lots of organisations that don't take the time to go. Who are we really serving? What do they look like? How are they different? And personas is a really lovely tool to do that. So I don't know if you can just talk a little bit about more about the process of how you got to some of these ideas and how you implemented some of them. Um, well, it it even goes down to the level of just ensuring that our 
our staff within digital actually travel on our services so they can actually feel what it's like to be on the train, understand what it's like through uh, busy periods and not actually shadow staff so that we can see what's going on and, and, and understand where their pain points are as well. So the personas is are brilliant because it gives lots of insight and there's been lots of research that sits behind it in terms of uh, how we've developed those personas, how we how we understand them as well. So they do create a lot of a lot of great collateral for us in terms of understanding what well, what is it we need to be looking at and what's the real pain points. Like I'm I'm when you travel on the train around the UK, I notice it when you go on an, when you travel on an LNER service, it feels quite different to other intercity travel. What what is it that sort of creates that sort of elevated experience? Is it, um, is it just a matter of that you travel on the trains more often or is there something, is there another sort of secret behind that? No, it's, it, I don't want this to sound egotistical or something, but it's all about trying to give the customer the best experience they possibly can every single time and providing the environment for that to happen. And yes, that costs money to do. Um, and in some cases, you'd look at it and the challenges that we sometimes get from the government is around cost. And, well, why are you doing that? And the majority of the time is because, because it's the best thing for the customer. It's what the customer actually wants. It's what the customer actually needs to really want to come back to rail. Uh, because we are still in challenging times with rail, um, not just with the recovery from COVID, um, uh, but also with the, the industrial action, which is going on at the moment in the UK, it means that we need to make sure our product is as good as it can possibly be, but on a consistent level. So it happens all the time. It's not one-offs. It's not for a short period of time. It's across everything. So we do take real pride in the customer service and the customer experience, which we give. Uh, and I think that does help to set us apart from other people. A great example of that that I had when I traveled on NNER was there was industrial action taking place one day. And it was it just happened to be the day that I booked a train from Edinburgh to York. But then maybe like 10 days or two weeks before I was actually just traveling thinking, right, how do I get there to there? Because that's the only time I can really do it. I got a notification in the app. I got an email saying there's industrial action on the day that you're booked to travel. But don't worry, your train will be de will be departing as normal. I was like, oh, that is you've just taken all the stress and all the worry out of this ahead of time. I thought it was like it's a really, again, common sense feature. Yeah. But Absolutely. You don't see it everywhere. No, you don't. And, and even some of the change of journey stuff, which we put in as well, which is pretty similar um, because we've actually, um, like airlines, you can book six months in advance. Within within the rail industry, it's actually quite limited uh, in terms of what's actually available. But we've actually created some systems and some back-end systems which enable people to book six months in advance. And then if the timetable changes as we get closer to the time, we'll then communicate to the, to the customers through self-service, through the app, through through notices to say your train's going to be moved by 10 minutes or something. Is that okay? Do you want to change your journey or give them options for, for different things as well? So it's, again, it's it's trying to take that pain out of the situation. It's it's customer number one. How do we give them the best experience possible? Uh, and you're right, not everybody does it. I wish everybody did, to be honest, because it, it's great <laughs> and it works really well, but it helps to separate us, us out as well as really giving that extra extra experience. Yeah, it goes. It goes a really long way. Sorry, I'm just going to end my love in for LNER here, Chris, and like <laughs> let you have the reins, Mac. But it had to be called out. 
Mark, you you had mentioned that sometimes you are are called to the carpet to justify your pricing, and and you say we do what's best for the customers, and this is what it costs. Um, the government has has decided that Wi-Fi is probably not uh, a worthy amenity. I yep. I look at that and I think that's a very flawed survey that they ran <laughs> because. Because yes, I want to get there alive and on time. Those are important things, but uh, so is communications to me. And and it's one of those things that separates driving from either leisurely taking the train or or being productive in that. Um, so I, I'm curious as to your response to that government position. Yes, yeah, certainly. Uh, we've had a number of conversations with certainly the the, the DFT and, and, and the government advisors on this because from our perspective, connectivity is absolutely necessary, um, not just for customers, but also for our employees and our systems that we, we need to operate on, on, the, on the service. At the end of the day, we are a long distance operating TOC. People are on our trains for two, three, four, even five hours at a time. We need to give them the, the ability to, to, to carry on with their lives through that period, uh, whether that be um, watching some television programs or whether that's working or even doing a Teams call or a video call like this. Uh, we need to give people the ability to be able to do that and continue. And that has been a real sell point, I think, for us uh, in terms of you just can't go without, you can't rely on people using their own data or things like that when they're on the train for that amount of time. Uh, it's not right. Um, and the only thing we can do is just continue to push to to make sure that Wi-Fi is absolutely there, front and center, in everything that we offer. Well, I, I appreciate that you've just given us a soundbite that made this all worthwhile. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's quite interesting because uh, we actually did uh, um, we've done a piece of research with a company called um, Startup Sherpas in the UK, which actually works with uh, teenagers so children from the ages 13 to 70 and with them being the next generation of travelers it, we did a, a, a seven week piece of work with them to, for them to understand well what would this what should the future of rail look like and connectivity and having the ability to connect to whatever they need to was number one priority across the whole of the cohort. So this was 150 teenagers were, were involved for, for seven weeks. They were traveling on the services, coming up with ideas of ways it could be improved. But again, that is a pure example of get rid of something now just to make a saving in the long run will harm you because the next generation of travelers absolutely want it. And by that time, trying to put it back in, you're too late. So again, for me, it's another it's another lever to say we've got to keep Wi-Fi and got to keep connectivity, and in fact, grow it and make it better. Uh, increase our, our our ability and our and our range that's there. That's a fantastic effort and one that is all too rare. Um, you you speak of passenger experience and you you herald it as the the most important thing. It, all, all of these things are what behavioral scientists and a couple of authors that till, uh, we really appreciate over here uh, really tout as missing in a lot of transit discussions. But let me ask, do, do you actually overtly talk about behavioral science or is that something internally that you follow or is it just you're going down the right path and, and doing the right things that are common sense that cater to to your passengers needs and 
And it's just, nobody's looking at the foundation of it. We're just doing the right thing. I think it's a bit of both. Um, I think there is a lot of common sense doing the right thing. Uh, but we do take a lot of research and insight. We do really look, want to look at customers' behavior, their, their spending patterns, their, their, their behaviors on trains, what do they do and things like that, because it does affect what we want to offer. Um, so I'd say it's a mixture, the two. Um, but you're right, a lot of it just does come down to what's the right thing to do here. Exactly. Um, so so you touched on some changes in the stations. The stations are, are my particular pet project. Um, wh where do you see stations going in the future? We've identified a number of different types of stations. N not every amenity is applicable in all stations. Some of them you just really want people to get in and out as quickly as possible. Others have green space because of all the ticket booths that have been closed because they're not needed anymore. Uh, so there's room to take advantage of. Where do you see stations going, say, in the next 10 years to to enhance your passenger experience? Um, well, I think it'll be about taking taking the stations to that next level again, making sure that they've got the the tools and the, the things which are available to, to really make life easier for them. Um, so if you look at, as an example, our TVMs, our ticket vendor machines, which are our stations at the moment, they're, they're becoming end of life. So they're big, they're huge, they're bulky. Is that really the best way of, of serving the space or serving the customers? Could we actually amalgamate a number of different things all into one and make them far more mobile and move move around the station rather than just being in specific spots? Um, so I think there's there's lots that can certainly be done, and we're looking at, um, for example, TVMs of the future at the moment in terms of well, what could be there? Uh, looking at gate lines in terms of what what what's the art of the possible in in things thing as, uh, as obscure as biometrics rather than using a ticket and things like that and is really trying to push push where you could actually go with it to 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 get customers through as quickly as possible but also as safely as possible but then also providing them with the facilities to make that experience in the station if they do need to be there for an hour or so to make it pleasant and and, and to uh, give them something to do because um, again something which we've done recently in King's Cross at station we introduced a family lounge um which is absolutely brilliant so it's a specific lounge if you ever get a chance to go to king's cross go it please do go in in there uh where it's got train sets set out it's got areas for children to play it's got seating areas etc but it's in it's a warm environment um where people can relax and, and chill because everybody knows going to through a train station with children is difficult <laughs> uh, it's not the best, not the easiest thing to do. So just having a lounge where they can go into, and anybody can go into it, it's open to all, it's not first class or standard, it, it's it's open to anybody. Um, I think that kind of innovation is just as important as digital innovation because it's innovating what are actually, what our stations are there to do. It, you, you mentioned the ticketing systems and, and looking at advanced systems uh, in Sweden, in a lot of stations, they got rid of the ticketing booths altogether. Can't buy a ticket in the station. It's all digital. In in Germany, we rode uh, the underground there, and the ticketing system, it's an honor system. There are no gates. You buy a ticket and you just walk on the train. Countries, can, uh, can, can the UK work toward those? Or, you know, I, I look at North America and I think, that's just not going to fly in my lifetime. Certainly, a lot of the things it, which we would like to do, we are 
not able to do due to the, the regulation, which is across the whole industry. So there would have to be some fundamental changes made to the industry to enable some of these things to happen. Because um, would we like to be able to get to like ticketless travel? Absolutely. Um, where I know we've we've looked at technology of using palm prints or using facial recognition as being your ticket, uh, as, as in essence. Now, that's many years away, but why couldn't we move to something like that? But there are certain regulations which we obviously need to adhere to, certainly in terms of availability of tickets and, and enabling people to still buy tickets. Um, although you, you say that, we are moving away from paper tickets. So we're, we're moving more and more to um, e-ticket. So even though somebody may be using a a, um, a ticket vending machine in the future, that will create an e-ticket. It won't create a paper ticket. So it does then beg the question of <laughs> the validity of, of those those machines on stations. But again, with the, we have got, um, there are specific reasons why we do have to have some. So getting rid of all is, is an industry-wide thing. It's not really something which, which LNER would be able to affect. So, so you alluded to regulatory issues. Um, are, are there, are there, if those regulatory issues weren't in your way, are there other impediments to achieving some of the things you want to achieve? Um, like I, I mentioned cultural, I mentioned some things just wouldn't fly necessarily in some places. Yeah, it, it, it's a difficult one because certainly in the UK, fraud is a massive issue. If you open everything up, does that make fraud even more uh, prominent? So there are there are things which, yes, culturally, and, and, and we. I suppose, do. I suppose the perception of unfairness to those people who are paying their way and are seeing other people skirting the system. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Franchise so, that too. So, so there's there's got to be a balance there, but I also think it needs to be an industry wide approach because I think. Certainly, the industry is trying to move to things like pay-as-you-go um, in some areas. So there's some trials which are, are going to be starting in, in the Midlands, I think, um, shortly. And certainly, pay-as-you-go is already on the London Underground. Um, will that take off more? Probably. But the issue with that is not all stations have ticket uh, have ticket barriers or gates. So you, you, again, have a fraud risk in terms of people tapping in at one end but not tapping in anywhere else and, and where does that lead so I do think that it's an industry problem rather than a specific one to a LNER as an example because even on our stations not all stations have gates um, the big ones do but not all of them so having a common approach across everything is quite difficult right right so um, I guess where another place I was going with my question is are what are the what are the unachieved things? What are the things that you you reach out and say? There's a gap there. There's something missing. And, and innovators out there, <laughs> perk up your ears. Uh, what what are the things that you haven't been able to achieve either for technical reasons or other that you think is the real missing piece? So that's an interesting question. The reason why I think it's interesting because we we've try we try lots of things. Uh, and we've got got right. a real breadth of stuff that we look at. Um, is there one? You've probably got a number of those boards, like the one behind you, of lists of all the things you want to achieve over the next ten years already. Yeah, absolutely, uh, and and it will continue to build as well. But I think another angle which we're clearly looking at 
now, which is, again, it's a difficult one to do when you look at the, the cost-benefit analysis, is obviously the sustainability and the environmental side of what, what we do. And because um, we've got targets to get to net neutral by, I think it's 2040, uh, and the things that we need to put in place to be able to do that. So, again, it's another uh, another example of where innovation is quite different uh, in terms of what we're doing and, and the kind of things which we can do, which I don't think the rail industry even knew we could. So, as an example, we're running a proof of concept at the moment at Berwick Station, which is growing algae, and the algae actually eats carbon. So, it's actually dependent on how successful it is. We're currently trialing three different types of algae at the moment to see which one is the best for, for converting carbon. Now, that if that turns out to be good, that is something that could be rolled out across the whole of the industry as a what a great win to, to really look to, to, to bring carbon down at, at our individual stations as we go through. Um, and another one which I, I find quite interesting is uh, we've created a deer strike prevention system so we have a big deer problem in the UK of deers crossing train lines and, and being hit by trains. And that obviously not only kills the deer, but it also damages the trains and takes them out of action for, for a period of time. So we're trialing a system at the moment with network rail, which rather than putting a big, big uh, fence up over a, a mile long stretch, we've got a number of cameras and sensors which are set up across that, that, that stretch. And as a deer or an animal comes close, it detects it, detects the type of animal, and then scares it away with a sonic sound. Now, again, that's an amazing piece of technology that's actually got so many different permutations or use cases that you could use to it. But to put it to deer, deer, deer strike prevention has come back with amazing results in terms of lowering, um, certainly in that specific spot, lowering the number of strikes which have occurred we're actually looking to do a number, a couple of phases of t test phases in other locations just to really prove the data that sits behind it. So is there one single problem with within rail? No, I think there's still loads out there. And I think there's loads we don't even know we've got. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Bolden Networks, unlocking the power of an interconnected future. We're delivering the advanced shared network infrastructures needed for a smart, inclusive, and sustainable future. From interconnected transit to venues, enterprises to smart cities, we're creating new possibilities in the way people live, work, and play. Find out more, visit boldin.com. I, I want to take us back a, a little bit. You, you talked about the family lounges and how traveling with children is very difficult. It's, it's, uh, it's uh, almost, uh, well, it's, it's similar to people with disabilities. You need to make accommodations for somebody with children, for somebody who's carrying on their, all their groceries, so it's all these types of things. Um, with the aging population, how does your digital expertise help with a community that's growing older and is going to need more accommodation in the future? Uh, yeah, well, certainly one thing which is big across the industry, actually, and I certainly wouldn't want to take credit for it um, because it, it actually came from RDG, the rail delivery group, is the passenger assist application which is used, which is basically a facility where uh, a customer can contact the, the through through an app that contact that they need assistance when they're at the station. So that could be a family, that could be um, elderly, it could be for accessibility needs or whatever. And then we will make sure that we have staff at that at that station that will meet them, 
uh, and be able to help them with their needs whilst they're there, get them to board the train uh, that they need to, and then at the other end, actually uh, help them off um, as well and, and get them to their taxi or to, to where they need to be. So I think even just, again, it sounds simple and it sounds common sense, but it's not been done before. But that's actually a real example of something that works across the industry uh, because, as I said, it's not an l product, but we use it. Um, but it's ma- making our lives uh, uh, and the lives of our customers a lot better in terms of being able to handle handle situations and, and, and provide people with the access they need. Excellent. Um, let's uh, let's shift a little bit uh, to the, the stakeholders again. You, I think we're all in agreement on this call that the, the passenger is the primary stakeholder in, in the transit system. If you don't have any, you don't have a transit system. Uh, <laughs> Very true. But there are others that we've identified as need to be involved. The operator, obviously, retailers, uh, real estate and government are the five key stakeholders we've identified. Um, tell me about, I, I want to ask about retailers, but I'll generalize the question to non-fair revenue. That non-fair revenue is a, is a term we keep on hearing increasingly because transit systems, particularly in the aftermath of the pandemic are cash starved. So they're looking for different ways to earn money. And, and one of them is retailers absolutely um, is is that factoring into your digital decisions daily or or in your planning and and how to help out retailers and and just make more non-fair revenue in general how is that factored into your thinking in your group yeah it, it's absolutely factored into what we do and certainly we try to attract retailers who are based on our line so it, so we're helping to serve the communities in which we, we operate in. Um, certainly uh, all of the food that we serve on our trains, certainly in first class and in standard, uh, if, not, if not all, but certainly the majority, all come from providers which are from our East Coast mainline. Um, so there may be a provider for something from York or there may be some biscuits from Scotland or some uh, beer from somewhere in, in the Midlands, but it's all about utilising retailers that that are up that are small enough but large enough if that makes sense to to small enough that they're not big corporations but big enough that they can handle the volume that 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 we put their way um that creates more for the economy uh, overall rather than non-fair revenue uh we call it ancillary revenue which is anything that's additional to a train ticket so that could be car parking, that could be a taxi, that could be food on the train, that could be all these different things as well. Absolutely, we need to look at that. And that's why I say what we try to do is attract local providers that can do that for us at a reasonable cost, because that's, again, putting money back into the community, uh, as well as obviously helping to serve serve our purpose as well. If that makes sense. Yeah, Absolutely. I just noticed in the app as well, if you go on the app today, you can get a free sausage roll from Greg's. So you've got like interesting really? partnerships with like big brands as well, right? <laughs> yeah. But Greg's Greg's originated uh, on one of our locations. So hence hence the link. And thought, hadn't put two and two together there. Good point. <laughs> yeah, because I, th- I think if I remember correctly, uh, they started in Newcastle. So Yeah, that's something they did. And now British domination, still waiting for them to come take over Canada, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> oh, please come to Canada. Please come to Canada. <laughs> um, we've got certainly got some interesting challenges here. 
But uh, uh, Josh has got to edit all this out because I can't be disparaging via rail. <laughs> it's okay. Don't worry. <laughs> this, uh, this is well, what Josh keep. Yeah. No, we'll we'll keep in the hundred and sixty four uh dollar upgrade for one hour because that burns me. But uh yeah, a um little sidebar or Mark. Ian and I were at the World Passenger Festival last year, which is coming up this year. Are you are you attending? Uh I'm not, but a number of my colleagues are. Okay. So, well tell them to come by the Bolden booth and say hello. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I have got suddenly got this uh four of Digital and innovation are going, and there's a number from some of our other uh, organizational directorates going as well. So there's definitely some digital people there. So I'll, I will tell them to come by. Well, I'd love to. Uh, I'd love to meet with them, and I promise not to be COVIDy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, Ian and I were at the Passenger Festival last year, and a guy from Via Rail came up and talked about their wonderful new ticketing system which I'm sure every European in the audience was like, what are you talking about? That's 1990. And uh, they, were, they were rolling it out in March. It's still not out. It's, yeah. it's a ridiculous industry. So anyway, I digress. Um, uh, I had another question on stations, but uh, I didn't. Uh, I also wanted to ask you a question about uh, uh, any competitive intel, but I don't know if you want to talk about your competitors in a glowing fashion. I just think it's it's healthy competition, so it's good because it keeps us on our toes as well. Uh, we want to be the the leader on on the East Coast Mainline. We are. I certainly see ourselves as as the leader. Um, but without challenge, do do you keep pushing the boundaries? Do you keep going that extra mile to make sure that you're giving the best possible experience you can? Uh, so. Uh, whether I like them or not is immaterial. I think that it's great because uh, it's, uh, uh, and that needs to be edited out, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but I, do think, I do think it's healthy um, because, as I said, it, it, it means that we keep pushing ourselves and that can only benefit the industry and that can only benefit our customers. Well, it feels like you've, you've selected a niche uh, that's a little more, it was more premium. It's higher. It's, it's, um, call it non-transit standard. Yeah. In, in North America, particularly transit is what people do when they can't drive somewhere. Transit is for people who have no other options is, is a, is a wide perception amongst a number of people here. But, and, and we've talked to a bus operator that shows this route to, to make it premium and, and you are finding an audience for that, that will pay a little extra to have a better experience and a few more amenities and, uh, and, and not have to worry about the driving and the parking and the expense and so on associated with that. So Absolutely. congratulations. I've, I've got, I've got a question around, um, like who you, like we took, we say that a, there are other options on the East Coast mainline, not necessarily so between every station, and like that keeps you on your toes. But I'd, I'd ask, what, um, who do you look to? Like you admire? Like do you look to other countries' rail systems? Do you look to airlines? How do you get inspiration? And then where do you imagine the railway might be in ten years from then? Uh, I think we have to look outside of rail um, to go to that next level. 
certainly when I look at some of the things that the airlines do, they, they actually do them very well. Um, even just something as simple as, as data sharing. Uh, within rail, data sharing is a real problem in the UK because companies do not share data with one another. There's this perception that the data has a value, but it's only a value to them, so that they must hold on to it. But is there a greater value out there if we actually share it? Is there a greater value to the industry and to the customer because we're all able to give a level of experience to people as well? So that's why I think, do we look at others? Yes, we do. We always look at others um, uh, in other countries as well. So certainly when you're looking at things like in Germany with Deutsche Bahn and the way they, they do things, when I look at their digital division, my God, blimey, that's absolutely massive. The kind of things they do were amazing. That would be a different world to be involved in, in stuff like that. But that doesn't mean we can't aspire to, to do certain things and, and start moving it and picking it forward. Um, but I do think that a lot of the time we, certainly in the UK, we look inside the rail industry and say, oh, aren't we doing a good job? But if you really compared it to another industry, are we? And where's the? we need that ambition to go to that next level, I think, and just, just take it to that next point. It's interesting you say Deutsche Bahn because every time I speak to a German at the moment and I mention trains, they're like, "Oh no, it's a national embarrassment." But it's <laughs> the standards, it's the standards they're so used to for like on time and reliability and scheduling and things like that. But when something does go wrong, like I was in Germany last year traveling to Berlin, a train, a truck had crashed into a railway bridge, knocked out the whole line, caused a load of issues. Turned up at the station, I was like going from Aachen to Berlin, so like literally across the entire country. And they were like, I turned up at the station, they handed me a printed piece of paper being like, you can do this or this or this. Yep. We don't mind. Give this to when you show your ticket and it'll, and all will be well. And I'm not really used to that level of proactivity. Yep. But they were looking and going, we're so embarrassed that our train system is not getting you there on time. I'm like, I'm happy you're getting me there. Yeah. So I guess it depends where your starting point is, right? No, absolutely. And, and it's about that ambition and pushing the boundaries in terms of what you're trying to do and what you're trying to achieve. But if you haven't got the customer at the foot or the user at the forefront, you're never going to solve those problems. When you do the the when you talk about putting the user at the forefront, you'd mentioned employees earlier, and that yeah. they're they're the front line. They're so critical to if you don't give a good employee experience, the passengers don't get a good experience. Yes. Do you have like a system that means that they can go, "Hey, Mark, we keep seeing these problems," or "Hey, digital team, like this is something we'd like to see." Do you have like a feedback system that? Yeah, absolutely. Helps, um, set yeah, that right? yeah, we've got an ideas um, forum on on our internal intranet, which they can go on. They can log an idea, um, and we'll look at that. And if it's something we we think we haven't done before, or or looked at, or it's it's really got some legs to it, then we'll take that individual on the journey with us. So they'll be involved in that project um, from the start all the way through, um, because again, from my perspective. I can come up with solutions, but are they are they the right solutions? It's the people at the coalface who can really tell us what the issue is and what they think will work for them. Um, yes. As we've seen in the past where certain systems have failed when we've tried to implement them because they really didn't actually take into consideration how it gets used on the day. And that was a huge learning which we took a couple of years ago, which really pushed, uh, pushed the angle in terms of the user-centered design. Uh, and making sure we're taking people on that journey and they're part of that so they can really feel w what it is and it's going in the right direction for them. Um, but yeah, I, 
absolutely we need to make sure that that they're able to feed their ideas in let us know and um take them with us on it do you have a program that encourages the staff to get out on your trains more often uh well we do in digital so um we try to encourage our people to to go out and and not just shadow but actually work a shift on frontline um for a couple of days uh a term uh a, a year certainly with the local industrial re- um action that's been going on uh some of us have been working on the front line through those strike days uh so i've worked on board uh doing first class catering uh i've worked at station and whatnot and it's a huge eye opener it really is in terms of how it really operates when there's customers on board how customers react to certain situations and things like that, which you just wouldn't dream of if you sat in your office just, just thinking these things through. But actually being on there, working through it, was absolutely brilliant. I, I've, I've loved the experience of being able to do it. So these work actions have a silver lining? Uh, well, I, I don't know about a silver lining, but they certainly have, they, they certainly have some justice. <laughs> Excellent. Um, well, I've got, to, I've got to say, I, I come from a non-rail background, so I've only worked in rail for three and a half years. Um, when I first spoke to people about moving to rail, they asked me whether I was insane because why would you go into rail? It's boring. You're not going to be doing anything. It's, it's, it's just trains. But it's actually got so much going for it. It's got so much challenge, uh, but good challenge, that you can really make a difference as well. So I've really, really enjoyed the the time I've had at LNR so far and it, yeah it's just been great and it was the right move for me at the time um, but I, yeah I wouldn't have it any other way I've I've learned a, a lot about rail some some very strange and interesting facts of how how rail works and the acronyms which are used all over the place but in terms of what it's trying to create what it's trying to do I think its whole ethos is brilliant its values are so strong. And you can see those through everybody who works in the organization. So it is a real family feel, which is just brilliant. What well, that's even my best when you go into it. What really, like, when you came into it from that external perspective, what, what shocked you? Um, I think probably how, how far behind it actually was in terms of technology. In, in your views of, of people, uh, you know, looking at cultures that do it right and getting inspiration from other cultures, is there anything you look to in North America where you want to emulate that? Honest answer. Um, as harsh as it sounds, that's probably not. <laughs> the thing that I think European trains don't get, and I didn't get this when I moved to North America nine years ago, was when a, an American or a Canadian train enters a station, a bell is ringing, like you see in old Western movies of... Um, a steam train coming into a station so I was ringing the bell I thought that was genuinely a really strange historic quirk and I didn't like it now I'm like oh I want that I, I want I want noises when a train arrives in a station kind of like in Japan like how each subway station has its own jingle I think that's something that I would I would borrow so um yep. we'll see that in the hour in a couple of years yeah it's quite positive quite positive yeah. <laughs> one of those unfortunately I don't I, I probably haven't travelled enough and, and experienced it in, in North America to really make a proper proper judgment on it. Uh, all I can all I can comment on is what I see on the TV and things like that. So it's a bit difficult for for me to give more of an answer than uh, than what I have. 
I'm sure there is a lot of stuff which which is done in North America which we could absolutely learn from. Um, I think for whatever reason at the moment, the, the focus seems to be very much around the European side and uh, perhaps in Asia as well with Japan. Uh, but that tends to be more because that's where a lot of the trains get made. I'm conscious of time, like Chris, do you want to, is there one question you just want to round up, round this up with and we can thank Mark and um, go from there? Uh, I was going to say something about uh, uh, sport with sniper work. Uh, I was going to say something about, well, at least we've got Andy Byford back, but uh, we'll... Uh, John shouted that out. <laughs> no, uh, you're a busy man, Mark. Really appreciate you being on today and uh, very interesting conversation. Love your perspective and uh, hope to catch up with you again soon. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's been a pleasure. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Connected Commute podcast from Bolden Networks. Follow or subscribe on the platform of your choice to stay connected and keep up to date with the latest innovations at bolden.com.